Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome back to the Writers Panel. And hey, Happy New Year. It's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. As you know, I created the show because I wanted to talk to other writers about the business and process of writing. I've had almost a thousand writers on the show, so please check the archives to find more writers and more TV shows that interest you. I myself have written a bunch of things with my writing partner, Ben Acker, so not just myself. Uh, We were on the writing staff of Supernatural, of Puss in Boots, on a few other programs. Last year, though, 2017 was a weird year. We did a lot of writing, but very little of it for TV. We were out pitching a couple of projects, but I'm not allowed to talk about those yet. But here are some things you can run out and buy if you want to support me and if you want to support this show. And supporting me is supporting this show. Uh, Acker and I wrote two Star Wars one-shot comics tied into The Last Jedi, the terrific new Star Wars movie. One of these is about the salt-covered planet of Crate, which you see in the movie. It is stunningly illustrated by Mike Mayhew, who's done a bunch of Star Wars work for Marvel. Um, there are a few pages in there that are among my very favorite comic book work uh, that, that Ben and I have done. And that's out now. You can get that from your local comic book shop or at Comixology. And on January 31st, our story about Benicio Del Toro's character, DJ, is being released. It's penciled by Kev Walker and shows how DJ wound up in jail on the casino planet in The Last Jedi. Both of those are from Marvel. Both of those, get them in your comic book store or on Comixology. And if you want more Star Wars from Acker and me, you can check out our young adult series of novels called Join the Resistance. It's about a bunch of kids who join up with General Leia's resistance in the time leading up to The Force Awakens. It's Goonies with X-Wings. You're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. The first two books are currently available through Amazon, and the third in the trilogy is coming later this year. It won't be a long wait. Finally, uh, also in comics, the collected edition of Death Be Damned, the supernatural western that Acker and I wrote with our pal, showrunner Andrew Miller, Uh, who's currently doing the Tremors series, is now available. It's four issues. It's beautifully illustrated by Hannah Christensen, and we're very proud of it. That's from Boom Studios, and that collected edition is also available on Amazon. Okay, that is it for now. I'm working a lot on two major projects, one in TV and one in comics, and I'm not allowed to tell you about them. But when I am, you'll be the first to know. So thanks for listening to these long introductions. These Mark Maron-style rambling introductions. Uh, But for now, I really want to hear from you. What writers haven't I had on the podcast that you want to hear from? What TV are you watching? What am I not asking that you want to know? Email me at nerdistwriters at gmail.com. I'll read all those emails that come in. Some really nice ones have, so thank you guys, and, and I'm going to use your questions going forward. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. Uh, Like the Writers Panel on Facebook. Visit writerspanel.tumblr.com. That's all the social media. If you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Now, more than ever, I need the sweet adrenaline rush of a good review to distract me from all the work I have to do and the dumb, stupid world that we live in. And now, here's a great theme song by Paul and Storm. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Thank you guys for being here. Uh, I'm going to have you introduce yourselves so that the listeners can differentiate your voices, uh, starting with you. I'm Michael Weber. Hi. 
This is Scott Neustadter. Uh, thank you guys for being here. You are the writers of The Disaster Artist, among dozen other movies. Um, and I was just saying, uh, off microphone, so you know it's real, that I really enjoyed The Disaster Artist. Thank you. And in fact, after seeing it, I was like, how do I get these guys on the show? And then you fell in my lap. So thanks, thanks for having us. We're, we're, <laughs> we are rarely in the same city, so this, yeah. the timing worked out well. So which one of you is in New York? I live in New York. How? Let's get into it, you guys. How does this work? <laughs> We, uh, we've never written in the same place. Uh, when we are together, we are uh, usually playing cards or talking <laughs> about sports or complaining about things the way writers often do. Uh, but we're not writing. We get nothing done when we're together. Uh, it seems like the farther apart we are, <laughs> then we get productive. So even when Scott lived in New York, where we first met, mm-hmm. he lived on the Upper West Side. I lived on the Lower East Side. And uh, our process has always been the same uh, in terms of outlining and dividing up scenes so that we could we can work from anywhere as long as we have an internet connection. Yeah. We, do, we don't understand how people write in the same room. No, it like seems if crazy. You're looking right? over each other's shoulders or if you have two laptops or... However that process works, I have absolutely no idea. It seems so inefficient. We spend a lot of time on the phone and emailing um, in the beginning stages. We never Skype. We're looking at each other right now across the table here, and we never do that. It's weird. Like, I don't want to be looking at you. Why would one have to Skype? What do you need to be looking at, really? That's Um, a good question. We also don't know how to share a final draft document in the way that... I, 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 I believe there is a way you can do it where if one person makes changes, it shows up on both computers. We have no idea how to do that. So we're sending little fragments of scenes back and forth or sending the master back and forth mm-hmm. but uh yeah we we don't understand technology uh we are old school yeah do you remember uh, Scott, do you remember we were starting out and someone told us that Gans and mandel who were like you yeah. know a legendary screenwriting team they sit in the same room or, or or pace in the same room and they have this um older woman who just dictate who just takes dictation and writes down everything they say as they pace and talk and flesh it out we, we would never be able to do that. Well, we're not funny. So funny people, oh, sure. imagine too. if you're in a room together, you know, like the jokes <laughs> good get point. really That's good. True. And they're very jokey. That makes a lot of sense. True. If you're not writing comedy, uh, what you really need to do is you need to organize a story mm-hmm. uh, and then each one sort of break off a piece of that outline so that you can move the ball forward. I well, think that's, that's the only way it works. That's what I want to talk about. So let's let's sort of start at the beginning of your process. And, and I don't know if Disaster Artist was a typical uh, oh, yeah. movie for you in the process. We only know how to do one way. <laughs> well, that, that's what I'd like to hear about. We, we, sometimes um, that does evolve. Right? Yeah, we, we've only ever done it so that we spend a lot of time in the beginning talking mm-hmm. um, and figuring out kind of like, you know, is this a story worth telling? Would we go see it? Uh, why now? All the kind of big macro questions. Well, let's, let's dig in on that for okay. a second and talk about what those answers were for the disaster artist. Um, I know you guys were asked to pitch on it, so it, it was something like We didn't. No. Actually, oh, um, we, we, were, uh, we were sent the, the memoir. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg Sestero and Tom Bissell wrote this in- incredible book, and we were sent it. It just showed up in our laps uh, by um, Point Grey, uh, mm-hmm. Seth Rogen and his producers, and uh, we flipped for it. And they already had Franco involved. I think it was James who brought it to Seth. James wanted to do it with his brother. James wanted to direct it. This is what we knew. Oh, and it was sent to us, and we read it, and we loved it, but we were like, why would they come to right. us for this? <laughs> um, if they were looking for a, a, um, a this is the end kind of a comedy, mm-hmm. or if they were looking for a movie like Bowfinger, which is a lot of production mm-hmm. hijinks, or um, you know, the stuff that they had been known for, we certainly were not going to deliver that 
to them. Um, but when we read the book, we were like, there's a really terrific story here. We've always been sort of fascinated by Hollywood stories. We've always wanted to write a true story. Um, it checked a lot of boxes for what we were looking at. And we do. love adaptations. And, we always and the book is, it really starts with us falling in love with the book. And we loved this book. And honestly, if, if, People out there, if you care about movies, you don't need to know anything about The Room. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you don't need to know anything about The Room to enjoy our movie, but you certainly don't need to know anything about The Room to enjoy the book. Um, You know, Greg wrote this with Tom Bissell, and Tom is like a a celebrated Mm -hmm. essayist and nonfiction writer and like a really fascinating person in his own right. Um, The book is incredible, and and we highly recommend it. And the hardest thing for us was it it could have been a six- or eight-hour miniseries because there's so much great stuff in there. So so once you have that, you have – it checks the boxes for you, Mm -hmm. but then you have that conversation about how is this a movie, basically. And and what did that look like for you guys? Well, I actually think even more than how is this a movie, it's it's, – what's the version of this – that we would be excited to see. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we we still, we both love movies. We love going to the movies. It, you know, gets a little harder sometimes as you get older and your life gets more complicated. Scott, you have kids. Like, I, it's just, maybe we don't go as much, but man, I love going. I, I, I still, it's my favorite thing to do. Um, so as a fan of movies, it's, what's the version that would get us excited is really like one of the first questions we ask ourselves. Um, and it seemed like it was a version that was more about the friendship and it was more about these two guys who shared a dream of breaking into Hollywood uh, and, and, and believed in each other when no one else did. Hmm. And that's a really powerful thing. And, and you know, Greg and Tommy, they both kind of had some things that the other one needed or, or felt like was missing. So there, it was really a, a strong bond they had. And, and in some ways we saw, we saw ourselves in them as, as crazy as that sounds, because it wasn't that long ago. It's, it's not really. <laughs> we were, we were, <laughs> which one of us is Tommy and which one of us is Greg? We're going to decide that. <laughs> we're we're like two Gregs <laughs> we're searching two. for a Tommy. <laughs> but we were like, we were two, we were two, you know, outsiders also who really wanted to make movies and didn't know how. And you know, we had some friends who were supportive of, of our dream and a lot of people who thought it was kind of ridiculous mm-hmm. and, you know, give this up, go do something else with your life. And so I think that we were from from the minute we read the book, we were less interested in the version that was um, inside baseball of Hollywood minutia mm-hmm. and and um, or or just fan service for fans of the room because we had not, neither of us had even seen the movie right. yet. You also when you get anything um, submitted to you, you read it and you say, "What's the chances of this getting made?" Mm-hmm. And if and we before we had any conversations with Seth and with um, with James, um, if this was a movie about the room. Uh, who's making that movie? Right. Who's going to see that movie? That is a money loser. Um, but if you make it about something bigger, if you make it something that everyone can relate to, we saw it as kind of an almost upside down Rocky for Hollywood. You know, like it's an underdog story at, mm-hmm. at its core. Um, maybe that was something that uh, would, might sell tickets and they would actually make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the funny thing is we've learned this having now made a few things. The stuff we talk about in the beginning when we're first, when it's just the two of us trying to figure out, like, what is this and why do we care? Why will anyone else care? Ends up being the stuff you talk about with the people you partner with. And, hmm. and by the way, if they don't see it the same way, it's best to not do the project or, you know, they should find someone else or you should find, you know. It, but the stuff we talk about when it's just the two of us is the stuff we talk about that we did talk about with Seth and Franco and those guys. And then it's the stuff you talk about with the actors when you're making it. And it's the stuff you're talking about. Sure when the movie comes out. So it really, in some ways it's, um, 
you know, the director is the captain of the ship, but we sort of found the guiding star on this mm-hmm. one, and then and then everyone else saw it the same way, which is why it turns into a movie that I think we're all really proud of. Sure. But it is interesting that what what that a lot of these projects begin as a dialogue between the two of us, and then those things we talk about really continue on through the life of the movie. And I think what's great in this particular case um, is that they were having the same conversations mm-hmm. um, before we met with them, um, and that's why I think... At the end of the day, everyone wanted to make the same movie. They all saw it the same way. We were all referencing the same kind of, you know, touchstones and um, Ed Wood and Boogie Nights Mm -hmm. and those kinds of movies. And I think that when we met with them, we said, we're not going to deliver you, like, a comedy. Um, We we think this is a really, like, great story of people. Um, And they said, us too. That's that's what we wanted. We knew the comedy was coming. The story is incredibly hilarious. The people involved are... They're interesting. Um, <laughs> right. These specifics give you yeah, exactly. in a very real way. And though, and and so if you if you focus on the drama, it actually mm. enhances the the humorous stuff anyway. So, and yeah. one of the other things that we had to sort of make sure they were on the same page with us about, and there was quite a bit of discussion over, was uh, the emotional stakes of our movie are: will the friendship survive the making of this film, mm-hmm. as opposed to. There's a version where the stakes are, do they make a good movie or a bad movie? And and those aren't really, you can't emotionally invest in those stakes in the same way. What's that line, you Scott, you always have about if, you, if you've heard of the room? What, yeah, you know, I feel like th- there's no, th- that's not a story engine. That's not, there's no suspense there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've heard of the room, sure. you know it doesn't turn out good. If yeah. you've never heard of it, that means it probably doesn't turn out good. <laughs> that's not, you're going to hang a whole movie on that. Right. Um, so it was definitely about... Um, making you love these people and care about these people and seeing how they're good together and then watching it fracture and, and hoping that it survives what happens to them when the m- dreams are coming yeah. true. I think that's an important piece of advice to come out of this for new writers, especially feature writers, mm. that like plot is one thing, right? You can have a great hook for your story, but you have to figure out what your story is really about. Hopefully what? in advance of the writing process. Because <laughs> right, if you don't have an outline or if you don't have some kind of plan in place, yeah. um, you, you might have a lot of fits and starts. You might go off on a tangent and write 100 pages yeah. you will not end up using. Or It's really good to get organized. I like to just sit at the computer and see what happens, mm. and nothing good ever happens. No, so I definitely you're recommend. Your way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, we, that's yeah. why, that going back to that question you referenced before, but we ask... One of those early questions is why this story now? And mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a creative question. It's a little bit of a marketing question. It's mm-hmm. a thematic question. And sort of that, that the answer to that helps you find that star that you kind of hold but on to. But we didn't really have a great answer for it in this particular case. It was more like a story about dreams, an uplifting story will never go be out of fashion. Like, really, that's what it yeah, was. Yeah, but I think that's still a good answer. It's yeah. the fact that, like, sure. that, 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 you know, things... I mean, we, we worked on this maybe three and a half years ago is when the writing started, roughly. Mm-hmm. But it, it even then, it's... Um, there was enough reason to say, hey, let's get this hopeful story out there of you can mm-hmm. sort of go after your dreams. <laughs> so two years later, it became really important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, story out there. yeah, you have to get a little lucky that way, too. So, so during this early phase of these conversations, um, are you writing stuff down? Yeah, or definitely. Is the movie starting to take shape? We're both what, writing stuff down and down. taking apart the book. Physically taking yeah. apart the it's book. It's lovely to have a, a book, a piece of yeah. source material that you can independently go through and highlight and mm-hmm. have kind of coalesce into a roadmap. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the, all the conversations that we have are like, okay, this is the story we're telling. Then the, they turn into emails. The emails go back and forth. They turn into some sort of a first draft of an outline. And then eventually you get, it gets so detailed and it has dialogue in it and it has everything in it that it, we can 
can go, you take the first three, I'll take the next three, and then we right. email back and forth. You're on the same page by that time. Yeah, uh, we're completely. usually on the same page yeah. about stuff. If we're having arguments early right. that are like, you know, semi, you don't see it the right way, or I'm right. not understanding what you're saying, if that's happening in the early process of this, we're most likely not going to do the program. Sure. But even as far as like the details of a scene... You're getting into that by yeah, the time or, you get through that outline. Or if it's if it's if he's taken this crack at uh, the first draft of number three, and I go, "Well, you didn't use my favorite line. Why didn't you use it?" We would end up talking about that. We'd have like a yeah. conversation, and that's I think having two people who are fans first of the source material mm-hmm. becomes re- very helpful um, because those are those are good conversations to have. You didn't use my favorite thing. It's like there's a favorite thing we can use, um, which is yeah. really nice when it's the original idea. You're semi more in the weeds. It gets very frustrating. <laughs> you could be like, oh my gosh, is any of this working? No, I always talk about that. Like with an original, the the sandbox has no walls, and that that the problem with that is you can the voice in your head that is talking you out of things that sort of the morale that's killing morale. That voice gets very loud on originals because you can. What if we set it on the moon? Well, what if instead of six weeks, it's six months? What if it? You just. You know with a book that, that there are some walls mm-hmm. there and that you have to kind of stay within the confines of, um, which I think is just, it's helpful. Um, you know, it, it uh, I, outlining is not fun. There's no, you know, the, the romantic notion of writing does not include outlining. <laughs> right. and, and it can be, it's, it's grueling at times. Um, we yes, sit there and <laughs> we sit there sometimes with like a half finished outline that has a bunch of bolds and questions. And it's sort of, we have to just sort of go back and forth and plug those gaps and make sure we like under, you know, it, it, that's the process that where the outline gets filled out and crammed with all the detail so that when it comes to writing, the writing goes as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. So morale stays high. So you get a draft done quickly. Uh, you you know, print those things out. They end up being, what, like 25 pages sometimes, right? Yeah, they, our outlines change. We've had, we've had outlines that were as short as like eight pages, and then we've had outlines that are like 20-something pages. Mm-hmm. So it's, it really, the more detail that's in there, the writing becomes almost paint by numbers. And, and there's still room to you know, have fun with the dialogue and explore other things, but it's not, you sort of know the purpose of what you're doing. And we always talk about that. Um, what ends up being a nice barometer is when we're dividing up small batches of scenes, which is really a day or two, maybe three days worth of work. Not, we don't go off for weeks without right. showing each other stuff. Uh, if there's a scene that neither one of us is excited to write, then we take a step back and go, do we need this scene? Mm-hmm. Or how do we make it something we'd be excited about? Because who's going to want to read it, let alone watch it, if we're not even, if neither of us is excited? So we always know we're on to something when the outline has a bunch of scenes that we're both kind of jazzed to write. That makes sense. How do you guys maintain uh, voice when there are two of you? And I assume you each have individual voices as well. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, like one of us takes over a little bit of mm-hmm. the thing, just making it sort of s- streamlined and um, sound. You like definitely one do more of that initially. Like you're you you are a master editor in that way of kind of like just sort of tweaking that stuff. But uh, what's helpful also with the book sometimes is the book, mm-hmm. the voice sometimes often can come out of the book a little yeah. bit, just in terms of resembling the experience and the spirit yeah. of the book. But I'm thinking also of uh, projects without. A sort. Without, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like 500 Days of <clears throat> Summer had a very specific voice, and this I know is sort of your first feature. Yeah, too, that one sounds so a lot like me. Yeah. Right. I mean, I would <laughs> imagine it was very much 
B- both of you, but maybe one of you. Well, it was based on uh, real events sort of that were happening, um, and it started out as like frustrated, why did this just happen? Why did she say this? And it was emails back and forth. I was living in England. It was us talking in person, too, because we and were even at the back, Tribeca. No, we were at Tribeca. There was like a proto. Right, right. There was oh, basically funny. like a, we That's always true. knew we wanted to do a relationship thing. Mm-hmm. And there was basically, <laughs> you almost had like a, a proto breakup. Where we were yeah. riffing, not even like, like we had funny things and it, and in some ways was as much as a, a personal experience, also a response to like how romantic comedies were getting made where we would sit around and, and back then where our lives were even more simpler in our early twenties and, and being frustrated that what had happened to this genre we loved and we weren't going to see romantic comedies in the early two thousands and the late nineties because they just stopped being from a real place. They were built mm-hmm. around trailer moments. And I remember that you were upset about something the, the this uh, girl that you were interested in had said, and we were like in your cubicle riffing about it, and then like that later became a moment in the movie, but it was sort of just kind of talking about so we like our war stories were more interesting, more relatable, funnier than what we were seeing up on the big screen. Sure. But there's there was still no honesty in those stories. I feel in, in it seemed to go away. Sort of just built around marketing, yeah. built yeah. around like the trailer yeah. had like the record scratch zany right. moments. And we were working in the movie industry, and we saw how it was happening. And just we have these two actors during this window, or we we want to they want to work together. What yeah. do you got? Well, that's not really how the best, uh, most sure. relatable romantic. Movies are going to happen. So let me let me back up and ask a couple things. Um, what were the romantic comedies that got you guys into romantic comedies? What, what was missing in that period? Well, um, they were. I mean, I think say anything. Yeah, you know, the, Cameron Crowe, John Hughes movies, and and um, mm-hmm. Annie Hall was an obvious touchstone. The Graduate for me is like mm-hmm. the be all end all movie. Um, but we were watching movies that were kind of based on a very contrived premise. Mm-hmm. So it would be he likes this and she hates that how could they ever make something like that work or like he's lying to her the whole time and like every moment where he's about to tell her the truth like they're at the aquarium and a dolphin (laughs) bites him in the ass and there's shenanigans set pieces right there's two people who are falling in love and there's no comedy anywhere in that all the comedy would be like they go to the zoo and like a monkey throws poop and then everyone that would be the joke it'd be like someone's funky crazy cousin enters the picture and oh the fact those are the scenes <laughs> no we could spend an hour hilarious. here naming all of the like yeah. tropes of those bad romantic comedies two of, like, people talking this... movies we loved mm-hmm. where they were talking about stuff that you could relate to and it yeah. was like shining a, a mirror and on also, your own stuff and the issue was something relatable like one person has stronger feelings for the other than the other right. one has. Like, well, the problems just, came from them. The, yeah, right, they're, the they're, obsta- they're their own worst. The reasons. obstacle is mm-hmm. is something yeah. real that that most of us have been through. But okay. even then, when we were talking about that, there was nothing we were going to do in that space until the concept of like, well, if we do this out of order, if we do, oh, you know, if we do that, that was the only reason because we we said well, what's going to be our relationship movie, mm-hmm. and we needed two things. We needed like the relationship we were going to write about, um, and we needed some hook to mm-hmm. hang it on. Um, and I think if we only had one of those things, we would have not have had much of a movie. That makes a lot of sense. So what? Uh, how did you guys start working together, and what kind of material were you writing leading up to 500 Days? Uh, I think we were both trying to write on our own, but not obviously taking it all that seriously. We mm-hmm. met uh, working at Tribeca Productions. Okay. Uh, I, was, I was in college still. Scott's... Uh, uh, you're you two grades above me. Are we, are we too old to be doing the grades thing? I still do <laughs> no, it. That's fair. My girlfriend He's a makes fun of, or Yeah, my girlfriend makes fun <laughs> of me constantly because I'm always like, oh, he wasn't in my grade. I'm 40 <laughs> and I still use that expression. Um, so I was at Syracuse looking for an internship and I uh, opened the phone book, which which also dates this story. And 
and and called Tribeca, and you answered the phone. Uh, I, was a new, I was a new hire over there. One of I was sure, like, you're the phone. so excited. Yeah, I was so excited to be having a job that I took on all of the things. I was like, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. And they gave me the like internship program, so which I loved because uh, I was only I was I, I was younger than a lot of the people that I graduated. You with. like built a life around that. Like so, so I was making. So I was looking for. I'm friends. your writing partner. <laughs> like I'm your writing partner. Your later roommate you found yeah. through the intern program. Oh like you, you you like I made, I was, I made a bunch of life, like, They had to like certain <laughs> movies. They had. To be, I had to be interested in the same kind of stuff. You were a real John Cusack. Yeah, basically. I I came in for an interview and we started. We immediately started geeking out about Rushmore, which had come out recently, and we both loved. And we were friends first. And then I interned that summer. I interned again over Christmas break. When I graduated, I got a job. First, I like kind of temped a little, and I was just sort of hanging out around Tribeca because I'm from New York. I wanted to stay in New York. and then I started working for De Niro personally, which was a whole other, That's which is a whole crazy. other podcast we can do because that job was like that job was literally you cannot a, do that podcast. Is, <laughs> we can't do it right now, but it's exactly a, we, we it was basically like a scavenger hunt because I sort of did like special projects uh, oh for Bob God. and it was amazing and 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 I will say. Um, <laughs> He, you know, Scott and I would escape to the roof of the Tribeca Film Center. We did not work very hard. Um, we didn't work very hard and didn't have much to do either. It was sort of, this is before there was a film festival. Yeah. It was sort of a much smaller company then. Well, and the, we the would, industry was different then. Definitely. I mean, especially in New York. that long ago, but yeah, especially Yeah, there was no streaming. Yeah. There was no, all that, you know, stuff. Absolutely. It just was, yeah, it was a very different animal. Much You're more right. expensive to make films. Um, and, and we, um. We would read all the scripts. I mean, it was Scott's job to read the scripts mm-hmm. coming in, and I, we would talk about them. And we just—it was so interesting because you think the bar is a certain height for what passes for an acceptable script in the industry, and then you start reading. And it wasn't Tribeca projects; it was projects being sent from other producers, Every single submission from 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 all of this from all the agencies. And you go, "Wow, they sent this around," or "Wow, this got bought for how much money?" And <laughs> turns out the bar is a lot lower. And and I think it was probably um, early. 2001 that we were just kicking around some ideas over lunch and we thought let's just write something together just to see if we can do it and see if we can finish something Hmm. and how long it would take and just kind of and and we wrote this this broad comedy that had a a very simple premise and was basically a vehicle for telling jokes but also telling a a simple three-act Story and finishing something. And finishing. Which I don't think we had. I hadn't done in a while. And we. Yeah. And, and I we, think that's a good lesson too. Yeah. Oh, like just such a good lesson. Do the thing you to can the finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we finished that it. Counts. We did it in like probably two months, and that's people great. like friends of ours liked it enough to just encourage us to keep. Mm-hmm. Trying and that 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 which script is, which became is why one of our I samples. stopped immediately, <laughs> and I quit the movie business and I went to grad school. Is and, that right? Yeah, and we were. We were still sort of in conversations about like maybe one day we'll do it again, but like Funny. I kind of stopped um, and then met this girl and I was like, I think maybe oh, that relationship story we wanted to write, like we could we could kick that, use some of the previous stuff that we used <laughs> and uh, include this new stuff. So and, while you were in grad school, what were... What kind of work were you guys doing? We're like were, emailing were a little, but forward on anything. We were emailing, and we 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 had like a we met with a manager in New York once who who read a, like a couple of samples, but was like, uh, "You guys should be staff writers at SpongeBob." And we were like, "Really?" And then I mean, there was, but we weren't taking it seriously. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. It was. It's still. 
did not seem like anything that could become a career. Mm-hmm. Everyone um, was encouraging us way more than we were hearing the encouragement. <laughs> yeah, um, and which is really true. Like it was, it was pretty seamless. Like people were like, "You should be doing this." We got a manager interested off of our first thing, mm-hmm. and we were like, "No, nothing's happening." We, they sent us out here while we were still working. Yeah, yeah. We took like four or five meetings yeah. with people, and they were like, "What else you got?" And we were like, "You have to have other things." Like, <laughs> and then it was kind of like, "Well, that was fun." That guess, first LA yeah, trip, we had should, our well, never quite feels real, right? And it wasn't. Like, it was right. when it, it is our toe in it. When it doesn't, it it's not a very practical way to make a living. Let's yeah. get real jobs and like. You know. I'll just say that first LA trip we took out here, which where we got lost on the highway six times, all these other things, was also the first time we saw Tommy Wiseau's billboard. Oh sure. Mm-hmm. So neither of us had seen the room, but we saw that crazy goddamn thing. Yeah, and it was, yeah. thought, still, it was what, still up five years later. Yeah. What the hell is that? That's funny. And uh, no, it probably wasn't even five years later at that point because our first trip was probably like oh three. No, I mean it was still up. Right. Oh oh yes, when you moved. Years. Yes yeah. yes <laughs> totally. Um, uh, let me. I want to go back uh, and ask you just follow up on a couple of things that you guys mentioned. Um, so working personally for De Niro. Yeah. Was there anything that you took from that experience that you can? You've applied moving forward um, about the work that is done in this job. <laughs> you know, it was a very different. Uh... No, it's interesting. I have to say, um, my the bulk of the years I worked for him, I, I only worked for him as a full time assistant for one year, mm-hmm. and then after that, he kind of created this sort of um, special position where I, I archived Were you photos. Murdering people? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was basically killing people. Uh, I, I, I. Um, I was archiving family photos and, and his props and wardrobe and stuff like that. And, and it was really cool. Um, but it was mostly a way to have a lot of time to write. I, mm-hmm. I worked just enough hours to get health insurance yep. and that was it. Um, and, and the interesting thing was it was not a job where I learned a lot about the industry mm-hmm. when I was do- in those years. It was sort of more, you know, I, I admire like Bob gets a lot of crap for, he's made a lot of movies in that time period that weren't, that didn't turn out probably the way he hoped or his fans hoped. He loves to work. Like he mm-hmm. likes to work. He doesn't want to be idle and maybe he doesn't always pick the best project, but I, now I see it cause we don't like to sit around and do nothing. We love to work. We, and, and we go into every project hoping it works out and hoping it's something we're proud of. And we don't have control over most of it. We have control over our tiny little corner of it. But I, I, I admire the fact that like he just, he, he loves his, what he does and, mm-hmm. and wants to do it. Um, that's a great lesson. But the other thing is, what was interesting was, and, 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 being, and seeing so many of my friends uh, that I went to college with who also wanted to be writers, mm-hmm. who were in college funnier than me, who were more, you know, who, who were better writers than, and, and they got sidetracked because what was interesting was you, you, you kind of have to decide, do you want to have a job in the industry that makes you feel like you have a little bit of a toehold and you're making some connections and you're kind of meeting people, let's say being an onset PA or something, right. but you have no time to write, but you're like, oh, but I'm, I'm meeting people and this and that, but you have no time to write. Or do you want to be a bartender or a waiter or something else, drive an Uber, whatever, it was something where you don't feel like you're in the industry at all, but you have a ton of time to write. And there's no wrong answer to that. It's actually understanding yourself because it, it, some people are like, oh, I can PA 80 hours in the week and then find time to write. Right. And other people are like, you know what? I can manage the morale of feeling like I'm, I don't know anyone in the industry. I'm not connected to the business. 
and but but at least I have a hundred hours a week to write. Yeah. And it really, it's a personal question. So I, I think um, I'm not sure it's as binary though, because you will eventually need those connections. Of sure, 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 yeah. sure. Right. And both are valuable. Sure, but the but only but the only the thing but the only thing you can control yeah. is the amount of hours you spend writing. Yeah. And if you're trying to make a name for your writing, you know, and, and have some, a piece of material people will notice, like put put your all into it because, mm-hmm. um, you know, only so many scripts get even read a year, and then so much, so many fewer get optioned or bought, yeah. and even fewer get made. It's sort of it, it's competitive. So I don't know that that to me was the lesson of seeing like people who wanted to write get a little sidetracked because they sort of wanted to have any job in the industry, but it came at the cost of having enough time to write. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Um, the other question I had was, as you're reading, uh, Scott, as you're being sent these scripts to read, um, and other than the idea that the bar is lower than maybe you guys <laughs> thought, uh, what, are you, what lessons are you taking from reading script after script after script? Yeah, I think that's probably the best education you can get. I, I never went to film school. Um, all I knew was um, watching movies, reading books, um, William Goldman's Adventures mm-hmm. in the Screen Trade. Still um, the best. Is the best. Uh, also for your confidence, but yeah. also for <laughs> practical things. Um, and reading screenplays. And, and the more you read of the good ones, the more you understand why they're good. And the more you read of the terrible ones, the more you understand the mistakes that mm-hmm. um, you will want to avoid. There's no, there's really no better education. Yeah. So do you I, remember was, a couple of the good ones? When I was there, we would get them? we got in all, like the, that was when Charlie Kaufman stuff was starting to come out. The Sixth Sense. Um, you gave me that script to read before the movie came out, and that script was amazing. Yeah, they, adaptation. We got a lot of great ones, um, and then we would get ones that were you couldn't believe. A right. professional put that down, and it would come with a cover letter from an agent that said, I re- am really passionate about this one. I really think this is the one. And he would be like, wow, no one lose, lose, lost their job by putting that, that letter on there, right? That, that agent should be fired. But, and then that script would get, but someone would buy it. Yeah. And that, guy, that writer would make a lot of money, and you would be like, really? Because I always had a confidence problem, and I always wanted to be like my hero, my writing heroes. You shouldn't do that. You should just try to write the best thing you sure. can write. And I promise it's better than most of the things that are out there. Well, it seems like that's a thing that you guys finally got to. In, in, you, know, you did this first thing together, and people responded to it, mm-hmm. and then you actually had the story that you wanted to tell uh, by the time you got to 500 Days. On that initial script, what do you think people were responding to, the, the people that you showed it to, that was the combination of both of you? It was snappy, for sure. It was a quick read. It was it was funny. There was it was a little bit of the five hundred days like kitchen sink thing too. There was a musical number in that. Yeah, first yeah. Script. There There's was a lot, a lot of, stuff of in there. like wacky, crazy. But that can things. also put people off. But but yeah. why do you think it worked? Uh, I well, I mean, that, how much it worked to the extent yeah, that like our fr- <laughs> like like <laughs> sure like it worked well, to the extent your that yeah, yeah like our circle was encouraging. Yeah. Which was, by the way, that's all we needed. Yeah. And it was ultimately one of the samples that 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 went around. As like a, a, mm-hmm. a sample of ours, some years later. But um, both of those scripts were written when we weren't t- like didn't feel like our lives depended on it. Mm-hmm. We were, we were having fun. Well, and we also we were, had we one other broad comedy. We, we were taking through. chances. Yeah, and and I think people appreciated the like the big swings, um, which we probably wouldn't have taken if if like we had bosses. We had people Shush. who were looking over our shoulders saying, or, or you a can't families, do that. or a family to support. You know, it's interesting. We we also wrote one other during that time period one other broad comedy that. Did get optioned eventually, but never was made. But um, and and that 
was much more of us trying to chase an industry tr- trend that we were aware of. Oh, lots of this type of comedy is being sold. So like, let's write something in that vein. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's an, it, it's, it's not an accident that that never got made when we were, I don't know if our hearts were ever in that in the same way. We were like, Oh, this is what the industry wants right, right. now. Let's go. Let's be the 108th script like that, as opposed to, something different, something more personal. Yeah. Or we just sucked at doing the thing that people wanted. <laughs> it is uh, true. We are not joke Which, machines. There's that too. <laughs> no, you're right, though. We're not... We, we've now met enough, uh, especially TV comedy sure. writers, and those guys, it's like machine gun fire da, 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 with the jokes and the one-liners and topping yeah. each other. We don't really do that. Like, we don't... <laughs> Again, not funny. Not funny people. <laughs> but you've written... We're amusing. Very... We're amusing, not funny. There's a difference. We're amusing. There's a, a yeah, a pleasant comedy. Yeah, we're, we're, like, we're, we're like lightly charming. There's not... We're presentable. We we're, spend... We're, our focus is on making you cry, so sure. that the lighter, the lighter stuff seems funnier than it is. But that's an interesting thing. Well, also, thing. I say, and with movies, yeah. too, it's such a trick. I don't... How you put down a joke on a script in a movie yeah. and then hope that by the time it's made in two years and then comes out the year after... You know, my friends who work in TV, they write a joke at 4 p.m. It's on TV that night. Right. That that it's interesting to see, and especially learning more, watching how Seth Rogen works and those guys on being around them when they're working on some of their other films. I mean, it's they have to put a joke down and hope that it's going to play in a movie theater a year and a half from now, which is whew, that's yeah. tough. <laughs> that's absolutely true. We don't have to worry about feelings going stale. Like we don't have to worry about. You know, are people going to still care about dreamers a year and a half from now? Yes. Are people right. still going to care about like breakups? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's. I was thinking uh, on my way over here about the uh, John Green adaptations you guys have done and how that is such a perfect match. And I think you know you're speaking to that right now. I mean, the his... it's interesting you say that. We a lot of people were like, well, those seem like outliers in your real. Yeah. And I mean, we're I like, feel really? like, why have they read his books? <laughs> I mean, his books have that same emotional yeah. pull, but with characters you want to live with. Right, I mean, it yeah. feels very natural to me. Uh, how how did those come to you? Uh, I was I had heard of John, but I didn't really know him very well. We got Fault in Our Stars at a time when I had just lost my dad to cancer, oh, and so geez. there was a lot of like tiptoeing around. Should we even? Th- you know, they thought of us as people. We had done um, Spectacular now, mm-hmm. um, and they had thought of us as maybe people who could adapt a good young adult book. Um, and they, everyone was afraid to give it to me, but I was like, you know what? When they finally did, I was like, no, I think that's all I'm thinking about anyway. Just like, please, I'll read it. And of course, I love that book. Yeah. Um, and it was it had just been published, but it hadn't yet become like the thing where people were tattooing lines on their bodies. Um, we were one of six or seven people that they had given it to, and we passionately went it, went after it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't really want to change a lot from the book, so we were trying to figure out what our sales pitch was going to be. How do you? Go into a studio meeting really and go. Curious. We don't yeah. want to change anything. Right. So we went Hire us. You did it. We uh, went in. We <laughs> talked a little bit about our our connection to the book and why we felt like it was important. Mm-hmm. Told them we didn't really want to change anything. And then on the way out, we said, "And if you want to draft in two weeks, you better hire us." Um, <laughs> and you were like, "Don't say that." <laughs> uh, did you think you couldn't pull it off? Or no, I, just I just not the thing to say. I don't know. I just it's sort of like it's. it's you're welcome. All <laughs> I'm saying is you're exactly. welcome. It clearly we, works. By the way, wrote it in six days because oh it was it was like we had we knew exactly what we wanted sure. to do. It was very the book obviously right. is written very cinematically and the structure the is structure there. is That's there the for the most thing. part. It's there. Yeah, and the the characters are amazing and the way they speak. You know, it's, we mm-hmm. didn't want to mess with it. And well, it also helped that apparently someone who's an established writer director had a prior relationship with the producers mm-hmm. and sort of had planted a bit of a flag. And this is someone who had gotten a lot more things made than us. 
and and we, I remember we walked to that meeting and the producer turned to us and goes, you guys have made my life very difficult. And he kind of had to go to that writer and say, how soon can you do this? Oh, wow. And and that person said, I, probably not for six months. And here's the funny <laughs> thing. The book was only, the book had only been out for about a month at that point and was on the bestseller list, obviously. Yeah, but it wasn't the But the yet. studio thought, and again, this is where, why so many adaptations have been getting made in recent years because, you know, the, the built-in marketing and all that kind of, the fan base and the, it's easier to get things, get something through the studio if it's still on the bestseller list. And the sure. and the thought process was, well, if we could have a script in two weeks, it'll probably still be a bestseller then, <laughs> which will help us get this thing made. <laughs> so, it, it yes, what you said definitely was huge for us. And and the fact that the, that other writer couldn't get to it for six months, and they legitimately thought, right. well, it probably won't be a bestseller in six months. It's like it's it's five years later now, and it's yeah. still a bestseller. That's really funny. Um, but yeah, That's, so I mean, look, a lot of this is luck, but being ready and then executing when when you get that chance. Um, in adapting that book, I mean, it isn't a one to one adaptation. I, I don't think. I mean, like. There's a lot of shape. You didn't change a lot. No, you still still have to make it a movie. The the ending is not as cinematic. Well, here's the other thing is, uh, if I remember, I might get, it's been some years. Mm -hmm. And this was one of the few things we said in the initial meeting. Uh, I can spoil it at this point. It's ridiculous. But (laughs) Gus dies, and there's about 50 pages left in the book, 45 pages. It's like quite a bit. And it feels a little bit, the feeling of the book is a little bit like, here goes Hazel on another adventure, Mm -hmm. a little bit. And, and... Something we 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 worked with Ivan Reitman many years ago, and um, on something that never got made. And but I remember him. We've always stuck. It's always stuck with us. He said, "Know when to get to the fucking curtain." And and <laughs> That's and really good advice. and the thing is, when when Gus dies, get to the curtain. So that was one of the few things we did talk about in that meeting was that we had to kind of truncate that last forty five pages to, you know, under 10 minutes of screen time, mm-hmm. roughly. And it's not just about the timing. It's also about sort of like the emotional release. Mm-hmm. Of, of course. Of, um, you, you, can't, do that. you can't so. put the audience through the ringer yet again right. after he passes away. Yeah. So. yeah. And there were some tangents in, in the book that um, make for a great novel, but mm-hmm. felt extraneous in a, in a movie. Like, you know, Gus had an ex-girlfriend, and there was a lot of stuff with that. Hazel had her best friend in the beginning who she went to the mall with. And I'll never forget this. Her, Kate, Caitlin? Kate, something? Mm-hmm. She, had a, she had a friend she went to the mall with in the early chapters of the book. It's like maybe the 13th most important character in that <laughs> book. And I remember my uh, at the time, my, my Instagram, I was new to it and was public. And my sister had a baby and I was an uncle for the first time. And this is around when the movie was coming out. And I'm holding this my niece and it's a really beautiful moment. And, and like... 15-year-old girls were writing, like, how dare you take Caitlin out of the movie? Like, a bunch of them wrote on my Instagram. I was like, okay, I'm making this private. Shut this down. Like, I can't. I mean, I, I appreciate their passion, but also, sure. like, you know, we you, you have to shave some things, as right. Scott said. It's got like, to be a can't, movie. It's got to be a movie. I'm when, sorry. When we... Sorry for fans of Caitlin. Uh, I, I, you know. Well, I heard she's getting a spinoff movie. Shh. All right. <laughs> You're right. We can't say that yet. Yeah. When we did, when we did Paper Towns, we... Um, oh, wow. We knew that... We said to John basically early on, and this is the only time we ever did this, we were like, what are the sacred cows? Tell us mm. what are the things. You know this. You know your fans better than we will know ever yeah. know them. Tell us the things that they're going to be upset about if we don't use. And there weren't that many things. He, he gave us like a couple of things. He was like, this is important and That's this is cool. important. And then we kind of like were able to do other things. So. Yeah, and we did that again. We adapted Looking for Alaska as well, and we mm-hmm. don't know if that'll get made, but it was the same process where we didn't, we never met John before we adapted Fault. Mm-hmm. So the first contact we had with him was... Which is, not, we should say, is not unusual. No, that's, no, that's no. usually the way it No, and, and in fact, it's probably easier for us to kind of mm-hmm. lay down the, the our interpretation. 
And then once the producers are happy, they show it to the authors, usually what we would prefer. Uh, and in this case, uh, the producers showed it to John, and then he sent us an email, which was which was really nice. I mean, he sent us like one of the nicest emails we've ever received and, and saying how we, you know, he thought we really captured the, the book. So that's really nice. Um, I want to very briefly ask you guys about, uh, forays into television, uh, oh, cause boy. it's happened. <laughs> we can keep this to five minutes and then we're, we're well, out of here. Scott's going to start drinking. So, so I'm going to put like a, a buzzer on Scott cause he's going to get angry. Is that alcohol in the corner? Cause he might start <laughs> drinking it. If we talk about this topic for too long. So Short great. version. Is, oh boy. Uh, after, <laughs> After 500, everyone was like, what do you guys, you guys want to do TV? We right. love TV. We talk about TV all the time. We probably at that time watch more TV than movies. Um, and, uh, but it wasn't yet the TV thing that it is now. Right. Like, TV is way better. There was no Nine streaming then. There was no, uh, yeah. But at the time it was like a, you For know, sure. it was a network thing. We were like, sure, let's try it. Why not? It sounds like fun. We got partnered with a filmmaker um, who we did not really see eye to eye with. And that guy had never done TV and was basically like, I'm the director. Why just do what I say? And we were like, is anyone going to tell him that in TV, the writers right. finally have some... And what, <laughs> yeah. and what compounded it was, we were also partnered with a producer that initially was sort of like, do your thing, do whatever you guys want, and then kind of was always sort of having the director's back. And it was just, honestly, it was, there were so many competing visions. Yeah. And, 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 and... So we bailed at the it, pilot stage. In, like, oh. in the, literally in the middle of the pilot, yeah. they were... Um, the, the, right after the I'm the director, do what I say, we were kind of like, then here's the final draft, don't call well, us. We wrote, <laughs> well, we wrote two of the roles for two actors that we, we knew and loved. And, and uh, when those actors were dismissed from the show without <laughs> anyone telling us, and we're like, we conceived the parts for them, yeah. and then we found out, we're like, you know, this clearly isn't working. So we kind of um, took a step back and let the other people who stayed involved do their thing and then uh, yeah so we will try it again one day that was the most diplomatic version of yes. us telling that story and usually it's like it involves like glass shattering and like, awesome. like yeah, yeah the only bad experience we ever had and it's funny because in, in television for people who don't know the writers usually do have some more command sure. than they would in features Our, the fe- people we've been partnered with in features have been extremely like hmm. collaborative and welcoming and you better be on set yeah. every day and all that stuff you've had the opposite and experience and it was really the opposite experience. It, you know, it taught us something because you're right. It's the only bad experience we ever had of something we had the job for that, that was set up. That was a real thing. But we've learned off of that and we've been, we've done a much better job of when we're meeting with someone and fleshing something out, no matter the role, if we're not talking about the same thing, mm-hmm. we try to bridge the difference and get there. And if we can't get there and it, ke- and it feels like we're banging our head against the wall, it doesn't have to become contentious. It can just be, look, we're clearly not the right people for this, or we're just, we're seeing two different things here. Right. So like, go with God. Yeah. And we, we, were, um, we were trying to flesh something out a year ago with a director. We spent months and months trying to crack something that would have been different for us and kind of cool. And, mm-hmm. and, and we just couldn't we just couldn't get there. And it was, it was really frustrating because it didn't get hostile or there was no, there was no negative feelings. It was just like he was talking about something completely different. And we were, it just, we weren't speaking about the same thing. And every time it felt like we were getting close to talking about the same thing, we we realized how far apart we actually were. And we knew, and this is something we didn't know when we were starting out is like, you know what? It's, you have to work with the people who get you, who get what you're trying to do. And, and, and it can be tempting when you're starting out of like, oh, no, this, this manager really likes me, even if they kind of don't get me. Or this producer, you know, doesn't do anything like what I'm writing but likes me. Yeah. Really, the fit matters because it is a people business and you have to kind of be talking about the same thing. Well, it seems, I mean, this seems like a, a theme 
in everything you guys have talked about. It's it's even when you're talking to each other, it's what are we making together? How you know? Let, let's dig into this thing and find the root of it um, to your collaborators. Uh, yeah, the auteur theory is kind of uh, bogus. Uh, yeah, the more you do this, the more you realize there For are sure. a lot of people involved in making a movie, and um, a lot of really talented people. And you're it's a privilege to partner with the other very talented people who are going to make the thing you write much better. Yeah. Um, but if it's an ego thing, and if it's my way or the highway, or you know, whose whose idea was it? And they're keeping score as opposed to best idea wins. You're going to wind up with a movie that's or maybe you may wind up with a good movie. I don't know, but you're going to have the worst time. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it seems like again, Disaster Artist was not an obvious fit. But no, but honestly, it from 100 percent works. And yeah. and from the first time we met Franco and Rogan and those guys inside of five minutes, they were talking about Ed Wood and Boogie Nights yeah. and Sunset Boulevard, and we we're like, okay, we that's we great. completely know they're talking about the same movie. And even are. with with um, Good Universe and New Line mm-hmm. and the bigger producers, it was really like we had one phone call where we we said, here's what we want to do, and they were like, cool, sounds good, go do, go do it. But no someone one. listening to this. There's definitely um, aspiring writers who are younger than us listening, going, "Yeah, but those guys have made all these other movies. It's probably easier for them when they." No, no, we we still go after projects all the time where we mm-hmm. get in the room with someone and we go, um, "What's the uh, what's the Stephen King adaptation?" We I'm totally spacing right now the from the '80s that we love with the with the kids. Um, Stand by me. Stand by me. Thanks. Sorry, I'm totally trying mm-hmm. to blank. Which is where you see where the story's going. Like we met with someone on a project a year ago, and we were like, "We see this as Stand by Me," and that person was like, "I've never seen it." And we're like, "That's okay. That's right. okay." But like, but you're not you, going to understand where we're coming. We're from. not going. You're totally not going to yeah. understand. And like, this clearly isn't the right fit. So they're like yes. the Edward James almost. <laughs> <laughs> also a great movie though. By Different the way. conversation. Um, but I'm saying, you know what? It it it. Um, we might be. We might get the phone call sooner about a project because we've had things made, but it doesn't mean getting things that it's easier to get things made. It doesn't mean it just, that that we're necessarily going to mesh with whoever we're meeting mm-hmm. with. So I also that, think we're terrified of de- of not delivering, uh, of doing a bad job. Sure, um, it's it's really a, it's healthy. You, know, you want to keep the track record going, where people like what you're doing, or you they know you work hard, or any of that stuff. And I think um, we know that there's a lot of writers out there. So definitely, like the phone rings now for us, which is amazing. But I don't think we would say yes to something um, if we didn't think that the end result was going to make everybody happy. Um, let's wrap up. Uh, first of all, congrats again. Oh, thanks so much. Artist and all the success. It's it's a good movie. You guys you guys deserve that success. Thank you. Um, let me just ask you guys as we wrap up what you are watching these days. What movies have gotten you excited? You're movie people and you love movies. So what have you seen in the past you know year or so that you've really loved, been inspired by, been in awe of? The I'm- best movie of this year is the best movie of last year, which mm-hmm. is Sing Street. Which I think is the greatest thing in years. People keep uh, recommending. Did not get enough it. buzz, and uh, <laughs> I think I, people like it's w- one of the things that I. This like, is you talking. I'll answer me. the question next. <laughs> I am obsessed. I'm obsessed with that movie. I like that movie. I think it is beautiful and wonderful, and I could watch it a hundred times. Right. Which I cannot say about the last ten Best Picture winners. That's wow. Right. wow, that was that was strong. Um, I, I like that movie fine. I, I, I did. Um, How dare you? Uh, sorry. Um, my favorite movie this year, um, my my two favorite movies were The Florida Project, mm-hmm. um, which I, you know, it's, if Willem Dafoe wasn't in that, I would, would have wondered if it was a documentary. So, like, it was just, I, it blew me away and just, and ripped me up and it was incredible. Um, and then I loved this, uh, I'll recommend something a little uh, more obscure, Dawson City Frozen Time. What is that? Which not a lot of people saw. Um, it's kind of a found footage documentary, 
but not entirely. And it's it's this is the the shortest pitch I can do on this is um about 30 years ago in Dawson City and up near the the Yukon they 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 found underneath there there's a bulldozer was was uh getting rid of an old ice hockey rink and underneath that they found hundreds of perfectly preserved silent films and if you know anything about the silent film era and film history um something like 80 or 90% of all silent films ever made don't exist anymore because of what they were made on nitrate stock and sort of and also film wasn't thought of anything worth preserving right. so um this movie is about the history of film. It's about the finding of these films. It's also about how we're all connected. Um, it, it's really a beautiful movie, and and it's told in almost entirely using the found footage That's really that was found. So it's uh, Bill Morrison made it, and and if you care about movies, uh, seek this movie out. Dawson City Frozen Time. Where did you so. see it? I saw it at the IFC Theater, which is a uh, walking distance from my home in New York. And uh, I'd read the New York Times review, and I thought, and I, I'd seen the trailer, and I was like, "Whoa, I got to check really? this out." My girlfriend didn't want to come. I was like, "All right, I'm going by myself." And uh, yeah, it, it just blew me away. Well, so cool. we'll, we'll, we'll look for it. Thanks. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Uh, let's talk again soon. This was really fun. Thanks, Thanks so for much. having us. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 